So go with me in your Bible. It's going to be very hard. But I want you to take notes because we're going to read a lot of scriptures. A lot of scriptures. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And I'm going to read other versions as well. So I'll tell you the version that I'm reading. So I'm going to read from the NIV version, which says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangle us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So let me take you to another version, C-E-V version. The same chapter, 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. Such a great cloud of witness is all around us. So we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that just won't let go. And we must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. And lastly, I read from the NLT version. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The scripture we just read is talking about strategic positioning in order to finish the race that is set before us. The scripture again gives us the condition by which we can run effectively and efficiently. It says one, strip off every weight that slows us down. And secondly, the sin that so easily trips us up. The weight here is talking about anything that has the potential to show your ability to finish the race 
So in a race, you cannot run 100-meter race in your suit and in all the things that we are wearing today in church. It will automatically slow you down. So you will not be able to finish the way you want to finish. Since every weight, and we know those weights. Then the second thing, he says that the sin that easily, King James will say, easily besets you, easily gets you down. So you are determined to run, but there is a kind of sin that easily will stop you from getting to your destination. The Bible is telling us that we should strip it off so we can run the race set before us. So the sin that is mentioned here is talking about every kind of sin that has the ability to slow you down. Now watch this. A believer is not a sinner, but the believer sins. So he's talking about the sin that easily trips us up. Sin has physical, emotional, and social consequences. Now, Paul in his writings gave us one reason why we should do everything in our ability to strip off those sins that hinders our ability and slow us down. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Romans 6 verse 14. I'm going to read from the NLT version, the CEV version, the Amplified and the New King James version. So let's start. It says from the NLT, Romans chapter 6 verse 14. Sin is no longer your master. So it means that sin used to be your master. But as we speak, sin is no longer your master. Why? Because you are no longer living under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. From the CEV version. It says, don't let sin keep reigning in your life or keep ruling in your life. It means that sin has the ability to rule in your life. It says, don't let sin keep ruling in your life. You are ruled by God's kindness and not by the law. Then from the Amplified. Amplified says that, for sin will no longer be a master over you. Since you are no longer under the law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. And finally, the New King James Version, which I love that one. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. 
So from this scripture, we can see clearly that if a person lives under sin, that person is being ruled by what? By sin. And if the person lives under grace, sin must not rule over the life of that person. So it looks like there is some kind of relationship between the law and sin. And between grace and sin. Therefore, we ask this question. What has the law got to do with sin? And what has grace got to do with sin? I want to believe that our understanding of this scripture will bring illumination. It will bring understanding. Light will be opened unto us so that we can strategically position ourselves to receive that which God has for us. So let's get down and begin to look at what this law is all about. Now, listen to me. When the Bible speaks of the law, it refers to the detailed standard God gave to Moses, beginning in Exodus chapter 20, which included the Ten Commandments. God's law explained the requirements for a holy people and indicated three categories. So under the law, we have more than 600 different kinds of law. We have the civic law, the ceremonial law, and then the moral law. All these were handed to God's people for something. The law was given to separate God's people from evil nations around them and to define sin. I want you to take notice of it. The law also demonstrated that man could not do anything, anything to purify himself enough to please God. Therefore, the need for a savior. A major characteristic of the law is that the law was all about demands. The law demanded perfection from the people. The law demanded total obedience. The law demanded that people would do things in order to please God. Because in the law, it will show you that for you to get access to God, these are the procedures you have to go through. For you to sacrifice to God, you have to go through this process. So the law was all about demands, demands. And man was incapable. Man did not have the capacity. Man did not have the wherewithal to, to fulfill the requirements of the law. And eventually ending in sin and disobedience. The law. Paul again in his writings referred to the law as sin and death. Romans chapter 8 
1 and 2. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So Paul is describing the law as sin and death. And he says that therefore, as a believer, there is now no condemnation for you. Because the law of the spirit, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, has set you free from the law of what? Sin and death. Why was he referring to the law as sin and death? The law was given by God. But Paul is referring to the law as sin and death. Romans chapter 7. Verse 5, from the Amplified. When we were living in the flesh, trapped by sin, the sinful passions which were awakened by that which the law identifies as sin were at work in our body to bear fruit for death. Since the willingness to sin led to death and separation from God. It says, when we were living in the flesh, the sinful passion in us were awoken by the law. And the end result was sin and death. Why? Because the requirement of the law was so tough that men were unable. So if you break it, it means you have what? You have faulted. And the result is death and sin. Again, see what the law did. This is very important. What the law did. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Are you following me? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to read from the Amplified. It says, For no person will be justified, freed from guilt and declared righteous in his sight by trying to do the works of the law. So the law requires man's effort. The law demanded man's ability. The law called on man to do it says no one is justified by trying to do the works of the law. Watch this. For through the law, we became conscious of sin. And the recognition of sin directs us towards repentance, but provides no remedy for sin. Do you see what the law did? The law became, or the law made us conscious of sin, or become aware of sin. Hello? <laughs> the law was like a mirror. You look into the mirror, you can see that your face is dirty. But the mirror could not do anything to wash the dirt of your face. 
It says, the law made us conscious of sin. Because in the law, it tells us that thou shall not do this. Which makes you conscious that if you did that, it was sin. But there was no provision for remedy. So when the people realize that this is sin, and they come to the place of repentance, there is nothing to redeem them. So instead of doing what is right, they found themselves doing what is wrong. It was like in the days of Elijah. So in the days when the children of Israel were, were in Egypt, the Bible tells us that at a point, Pharaoh gave a commandment that don't give these slaves anything but demand from them bread. So in the morning, a master will call one slave. He says that tomorrow by this time, I need 200 what, bricks or blocks to be produced by you. Then he says, master, but where are the materials? He says, no, there are no materials for you. My demand is that you must produce it at all costs. But this is a slave. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have the, the, the needed stuff to get the material. But he is under obligation to produce the blocks. So what must he do? Two things. He has to either go and borrow or go and steal. Which ends in death and sin. Because he doesn't have it. But he has to produce it. That was the law. Again, look at this one. You will understand it very well. Romans chapter 7. Verse 7. Let's start reading from verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, if it had not been for the law, I would not have recognized sin. So the law made us aware of sin. For I would not have known, for example, that by coveting what belongs to another and could, could, have, could have no sense of guilt. If the law had not repeatedly said, you shall not covet. But sin... This is very important, verse 8. But sin, finding an opportunity through the commandment to express itself, produce in me every kind of converting and selfish desire. For without the law, sin is dead. The recognition of sin is inactive. See, it says verse 9. I was once alive without the knowledge of the law. But when the commandment came and I understood its meaning, sin became alive and I died. Since the law sentenced me to death. And the very commandment which was intended to bring life actually proved to bring death. In the writings of John Boyan, in the Prison Progress, he gave an illustration of how the law operates. 
He said, for example, if you entered into a room, a dusty room, the place is dusty. Your intention is to make the place clean. So you quickly went for a broom and started sweeping. What are you doing? You will realize that the moment you started sweeping, you were rather stirring up the dust all over the room. Instead of cleaning, you were stirring it up. He was saying that the intention of the law stirred up passion to sin in us. The desire to sin were stirred up. So anytime you saw the law, the passion to sin was there because there was no room for remedy. So the law, the intention of the law was to bring holiness to people, but it ended up bringing them to a place of sin and death because it did not provide any room of escape. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not. Don't do that. Do this and don't do that. And the people were not having the way of escape. So if I will not have the way of escape, I will rather do it. That is why when the people met the lady that had committed adultery, they brought her to Jesus and they said, this woman has done that and she is supposed to do what? To die. And Jesus said, is there any of you that have not seen? Let the person do the first throw of the stone. And all of them left. And what did Jesus tell her? I too do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. The law became a burden. Because people want to be free. But the law was rather making them to sin. Then Jesus stepped in. And ended the law. Jesus stepped in and fulfilled the law. He stepped in and when he came around, he, he was like he was saying to people, and tell me, what was the law all about? He says, the law says that if you do this and that and that, this will happen. He says that I have come to fulfill the requirement of it. He says when you co- co- commit adultery, you will die. He says, I have come to fulfill the requirement. It says that when you want to go to God in the holy of holiest, these are the processes and the procedure for you to get there. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill it. And the Bible says that the, the veil that was separating the holy of holiest from the holy of holiest, it was brought down, it was divided. Now you and I, we have access to the room, the throne room of grace, where we can obtain mercy. Why? Because Jesus came to fulfill the law. He said, I did not come to abolish it. I rather came to fulfill every requirement of the law. In other words, anything, the thing that gingers the passion to sin in you, I have come to fulfill it. That thing that creates the passion to sin, I have come to crush it. Anything that that makes you to sin, I have come to deal with it. So the law was all about demands. 
But when Jesus stepped in, he says that I have come not to create more demands, but I have come to give unto you a lot. So Jesus was, was, was sort of a supply to us. So instead of demanding, he said, I have come to supply goodness to you. I have come to supply forgiveness unto you. I have come to supply you the ability, the energy for you to stand so you can resist any form of sin that comes your way. Because anything that makes you to sin, I have dealt with it. That is why I agree with Paul when he said, sin must no longer be your master. Why? Because the law that brought about sin, the law that made you to sin, that law has been dealt with. Now, you have been moved from under the law into grace. You are no more under the law. Therefore, you have the strength, the ability to resist every form of sin. Then the Bible tells us that Jesus, Moses, the law came through Moses, but grace, not only grace, grace and truth came through Jesus. So when he came, he came to show us his true self. He came to show us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. He came to show us that he is the son of the living God. He came to show us that he is the one who has come to die for our sins. He came to show us the truth about God. So when Jesus came, he did not refer to God as God, but he referred to God as a father. So he is telling us that I want you to see God as what? As a father. Then he came to show us the truth about yourself. Who you truly are. And that is your true identity is not to wallow in sin. But your true identity is that you have power over every kind of sin. That is your true identity. That is who you are. You can stop. You can resist every form of sin. Because I came to fulfill the requirement. Therefore, you don't need to do anything. You just have to enjoy grace. Which gives us the ability to withstand every form of sin. Sin must not dominate your life. Sin must not rule over your life. Let's look at Romans chapter 7 verse 6. From the Amplified. It says, But now we have been released from the law and its penalty, having died through Christ, to that by which we were held captive, so that we serve God in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the latter. Somebody, a believer that you are listening to me, 
you have been released from the curse of the law. You have been released from the penalty of the law. That captive and that thing that was, 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 was arresting you, that thing that was putting you in cage, that you were unable to resist it, it easily gets hold of you and you find yourself in it. The news to you is that as a believer, you have been released from it. Galatians chapter 3, starting from 23, the Amplified. I love this one. It says, Now, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, perpetually in prison, in preparation for the faith that was designed, destined to be revealed. Fourth, 24. With the result that the law has become our tutor, and our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified that that is declared free of guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God by faith. 25. But now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, now that healing and deliverance has come, we are no longer under the control and authority of the tutor. For you who are born again have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed and sanctified, are all children of God set apart for his purpose with full rights and privileges. Through Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union with Christ, the anointed, have clothed yourself with Christ. That is, you have taken on his character and his values. You have taken on the character and the values of God. You have taken on the character and the values of Christ. Therefore, sin must not dominate your life. Why? Because you have taken on the character and the values of Christ. And the character and the values of Christ does not permit that sin will have dominance in our lives. And if you belong to Christ, 29, if you are in him, then you are Abraham's descendants and the spiritual heir according to God's promises. In ancient Romans, a wealthy man will employ the services of a, of a master to take care of his child. So this man will take care of the child, guide and guard her, Protect the child. Feed the child. Make sure the child is safe. Make sure the child is learning. Do everything for the child. Why? Because he's a child. But the moment this child becomes a man, he is freed from the dominance of the master. He now moves into his father's care because that, that yoke has been broken I am no more under the control of this master. 
I am now under the control of my father. That is the confession of the believer. Sin must not easily reset us. Look at who you are now. Who you are now. Romans chapter 7 from 2. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, or if she dies, the law of marriage no longer applies to her. So once her husband is alive, she could be committing adultery if she marries another man. Why? Because she is bound under the law of marriage to stick and stay with her husband. But the moment the husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. It simply means that if you are committing and continually committing sin, you are committing adultery. You are mixing law and faith. He is telling us that if the woman is married to the man, and so long as the man is alive, she doesn't have the right to go and remarry. If she did, she will commit adultery. But the moment the man dies, she doesn't have any partnership, any deal, any relationship with the dead because she is still alive. Therefore, she can remarry simply because her husband is dead. Hello. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who raised you from the dead. So you are no more dead. You are alive. However, the thing that kept you in sin has been crucified. You are now united with the living who is Christ. And now you are united with the one who raised from the dead. As a result, you can now produce a harvest of good deeds for Christ. Under the law, we were producing death. Under the law, we were producing disobedience. Under the law, we were sinning here and there. But under grace, under the newfound grace, it says that now we can produce what? Good deeds. We can produce good things. Our life can be a testimony. We can tell people who we are. We can testify of the good things God is doing in our lives. Why? Because we are not under the now, you are married with Christ. Sin must not dominate 
the life of the believer. Look at something very serious here. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. It says, We also know that the law is made for the what? It's not made for the righteous. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous. Are you righteous? Are you righteous? Oh, I'm not hearing it. Are you righteous? The law was not made for you. Hello? If you are righteous, the law we are talking about was not made for you. For it was made for who? Lawbreakers. Rebels, ungodly, sinful, unholy, and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers for the murderers. Those were the people the law was made for. So if you subject yourself under the law, this is the description that the Bible is giving. We are righteous. Therefore, we love this woman. First John. First John gives us something so the, the, the moment that they have found this thing, I said, wow, this is speaking. First John, chapter 3, verse 9. It says something from the NLT version. That is the New Living Translation. It says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of what? Sinning. Because God's life is in them. So they, they cannot keep on sinning because they are God's children. Wow. It says those of us who belong to God's family, we do not make a practice of sinning. Why? Because the life of God is in you. The life of God, which is life, is in you. The life of God, who are, which has given us the ability to handle every form of sin, is in you. So you cannot make sinning your practice. Hello? Please, are you with me? Hmm. First John, then from the, um, the NIV version. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Very simple. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed ah, remains in him. The seed that produces good things. The seed that declares his goodness. The seed that proclaims who God is. The seed that rejoices in his house. The seed that says that I know who I am. I am a child of God. It says that seed is in you. You cannot keep on 
sinning. Because they have been born of God. And look at something so serious. This one is serious than all of them. First John chapter 3 verse 6. Very, very, very serious. It says, anyone who continue to live in him, anyone who has the knowledge of him, the knowledge we spoke about last week, anyone who has come to know him, anyone who has the epignosis of him, the revealed knowledge of him, will not sin. That is why we go for the knowledge of him to renew our minds so that we will not keep on sinning. And look at something. Mm. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. This one, to me, is very serious. Anyone who continues to sin does not know him. It means that that person has not come to the saving knowledge of him. It means that if that person calls himself a believer, you have to re-examine your believing that you are saying you believe. It means that if you call yourself born again, you have to re-look at it. Because if you really know him, you will not make sinning a practice. Or you don't understand who he is. If you understand who he is, Ah, if you appreciate what he has done for you, mm, sin will not be your daily food, your monthly consumption, your weekly appreciation. Because you know him. And the seed of God remains in you. That keeps telling you, no, you can't. So we examine the sin that you keep doing. Since that if you truly know him, you will not do that. But for us the believers, we know him. Hello. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. It says that who can know the lost thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. Somebody say, I understand these things. But we, we understand these things. But we, we know that we are no more under the law. But we, we know that the passion to sin is not there. We know that the desire to commit sin is not there. We know these things. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I know these things. I know him. I know him. Somebody say, yes, I understand what you are saying. 
that you should appreciate the fact that we have weakness. Yes, I know. We all have weaknesses. That is why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, and the Holy Spirit, that's what? Help us in our weaknesses. Hello. I know you have a weakness, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I know you have a challenge, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is inside of you. He is the one who helps us to handle every weakness in us. That is why Paul keeps on saying, the believer, sin cannot be your master because the Holy Spirit lives in you. He has the ability to help every weakness of you. I don't know what you are struggling with. I don't know what has become a weakness to you. But we are told in John chapter 16 verse 13, it says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own, but of him. Joseph won the battle of fornication. Joseph was not an ordinary man. The Bible describes him that he was very, very handsome. In other words, he has passed handsomeness to beautiful. Yes. He was well built, taller than myself. I'm sure he was lifting some metal, so his, his muscles were fair. He was very attractive, very nice to behold. When the women saw him, they were crashing all around. He had the opportunity. He had. But what did he do? He ran. Why? He was sensitive to the promptings of God in him. He knew who he was. He understood who God was. So he said, this one, in spite of the fact that this one has been given to me free of charge, nobody is watching. There are no cameras. The man himself is not there. I can do it, uh, whatever. But the prompting said, no, you cannot. So he ran. You know, our biggest problem is because we have so much confidence in the flesh. We have so much confidence in the flesh. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. It says, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. That is what we rely on. What has he done? He has fulfilled the requirements of the law. What has he done? The passing of sinning has been taken care of. What has he done? He has supplied unto us grace. What has he done? He has showed you and I our true identity. That is what we rely on. We put no confidence in human efforts. John chapter 6, 63 and down. The spirit alone gives eternal life. 
human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I speak and I've spoken to you are life and they are spirit. We put so much confidence in our ability. Joseph could have said, yes, I am a man. I can handle this man. I am a man. I can handle this man. Before you know, I am a man. I can handle it. But he said, no. I am not putting confidence in my body. I'm putting confidence in God. We put so much confidence in our abilities. At the end of the day, we fall. Morning, I came to tell you that you lease you have been perpetually and forever been released from the law. That thing that energizes the desire to fornicate has been dealt with. It's because you have so much confidence in your body. It's because you are not being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's because you are not seeking for help. So you find yourself doing it. 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 If you are a believer, born again, you cannot keep on sinning. Because the seed of God is not sinning. This morning, I just want you to place your hand on heart. Ah! Enough of that struggle. Enough of that bottles. Enough of those lying and cheating and running around, going behind your wife and all those. Is enough. That seed that always tell you, call, do it. That has been dealt with because you are a believer. His seed is speaking inside of you. His seed said, No, that is not you. His seed said, No, that is not you. His seed said, No, that is not you. Stop it. I have come to help you. I have come to help you. This morning, I know we have weaknesses, and I'm not going to call you up here. No, I'm not going to do that. But wherever you are, just pray that God, there is this weakness that easily, easily entangles me. Easily, the cause comes back, then I am in it. Easily, they call me, then I'm in it. Release. This morning, I pray for that release to touch somebody. I pray for that release to touch you. I pray for that release to be to 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 affect the every fiber of your being. When we rise as believers, we can confidently present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, because the sin members are not ruling over our lives. Because we are under grace. Not under the law. Somebody you are coming out. 
Somebody, you have been liberated. From today, going, that thing that you have been doing, hey, you are stopping and you have stopped right now in the name of Jesus. You are saying, but I am helpless. The Holy Spirit is helping. But I am helpless. The Holy Spirit is assisting. The drugs that you have been on it, you are you have been taking off it. That woman that you have been following, you have been taking off it. That drink that you have been enjoying all over, you have been taking off it. Because if you are in him, with the knowledge of him who created him, that knowledge will tell you who you are. You are coming off. You are 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 off in the name of Jesus. You are off in the name of Jesus. That sin will not follow you to next year. Those desires will not follow you to next year. In the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I pray for your people. I pray for your people. Every one of us with a weakness that easily trips us, easily beset us, easily makes us fall, easily makes us go down, easily and when we come back we are, we regret we and we have guilt all around us, but the moment we go back again, today we have understood that seed is no more in us, but the seed that bears good fruit the seed that bears good fruit, the seed that bears righteousness, the seed that bears goodness, the seed that bears faith, the seed that bears power, the seed that bears authority is in us. Anybody struggling with pornography, you are free from it. Anybody that is suffering from fornication, you are free from it. Anybody that is going through all kinds of things, alcoholism, you are free from it. Lying, you are free from it. In the name of Jesus, you are free. Ah, that is why our message it's not a message of sin. Our message is the message of grace. Our message is what Christ has done for us. Why? Because we are dead to sin. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We give you praise, somebody. Appreciate God with a clap offering and a shout. I am free. I am free. I am free. In the name of Jesus. 